Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of the gospel. Thank you for Paul, who is a staunch defender of the gospel, who traveled so many miles, uh, laying his own life down multiple times over, willing to be jailed, willing to be shipwrecked, willing to be naked, hungry, afraid for the sake of the gospel. When I think of a faithful follower, I think of Paul. And so, God, um, would you help us to hear your words today through Paul, uh, through me? Would you impress upon our hearts how we could be a faithful follower? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning... um, is a hard sermon to preach for a preacher or a leader in the church. This morning, Peter is uh, opposed by Paul. Peter uh, was thought of to be a beloved apostle, one that Jesus said, I will build my church upon this rock. And, and here he stands Uh, condemned by Paul this morning. And so it's a great reminder to all of us, but specifically those of us who are in ministry, um, that we should be careful of the things that we do and the things that we say, as not to be hypocritical to God's Word. Uh, Let's hear God's Word together and remember that God has saved uh, this truth for us all of these years, that it might edify us, that it might build us up, that it might encourage us, that it might strengthen us, and that as we hear it together, it might bind us together as one people of one mind and one accord. Galatians 2, verse 11, but when... uh, Cephas, Cephas came to Antioch. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Blessed be the reading of God's Word. This morning, I think it's uh, a few things that we can just see right off the bat. One is that we, like Peter, all stand condemned before Christ uh, because we're all sinners. Um, some, some may find it shocking that Peter was being called a sinner, that, that he was being called out for being sinful Uh, because of his position, because of his authority, because of who he was. But 
in reality, it doesn't matter who we are, uh, we all stand condemned before Christ. The second thing I hope to see this morning is that uh, Paul loved the truth of the gospel enough to remind Peter. Paul loved the truth of the gospel enough to remind Peter who loved him. You know, uh, if you've ever had to talk to a superior, if you've ever had to uh, even uh, husband and wife relationships, uh, equal partnership, if you've ever had to go to someone who you respected and say, hey, there might be something wrong here. Uh, There's a lot of fear involved there. There's a lot of angst. There's a lot of uh, doubt that creeps in. But Paul loved the truth of the gospel enough to remind Peter who loved him. And the last thing I hope that we'll see today is if, if we really love Jesus, that we'll live like it. If, if we really love Jesus, that we'll encourage others to live like it as well. But here in verse 11, the first verse of our text, says that when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. We find Peter is is standing uh, condemned. Now we just heard in our pastoral prayer that there's now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So is is there a little? uh, No, there's not. We're all condemned in the sense that we're sinners. Um, But what, what is Paul trying to point out? He's trying to say that um, this Peter, this one that Christ has promised to build his church on, is out of step with the gospel. That's what he's condemned of, not living the gospel out. I think it's, a, like I said earlier, a great reminder for those of us that are in church leadership that someone as exalted as Peter is in church history, someone who um, everyone would look up to, that he would be found guilty of breaking the law, not keeping the law. He's also guilty, I think, of trying to make Gentiles earn their salvation by keeping a different law which is in direct opposition of the gospel. He claims to be fighting for uh, this one way of life, and yet he's living this other way of life. This is why Paul addresses him publicly. And I think in our text we have to be careful not to see uh, Paul's words as necessarily harsh or bitter or um, uh, controversial when he says, I opposed him to his face. You know, we kind of want to read that as like, I got right up in his grill and told him, you know, Peter, what are you doing? But that's not really the intention of of the context here. The context is that Paul knew that something had to be done in public. He had to uh, tell Peter amongst his peers, amongst the Gentiles, amongst those who uh, he was living, that this is not the gospel. He had to set the air clear. And um, so when it says, I opposed him to his face, it's almost as if 
I loved him so much that I wanted to uh, let him know uh, where he was an heir. It was that kind of heart, not a, not a heart of uh, we're getting ready to throw down uh, and fight. Um, which may not have been uh, too far for what we know of Peter, right? But Paul knew who Peter was. Paul knew how he lived his life. And he um, wanted to encourage uh, Peter that the way that he was living is, is not helping the Gentiles. It's not helping him uh, be a minister of the gospel. And it was detrimental to the church. Some early church fathers um, actually debated this passage and um, Calvin comments on uh, the ridiculousness of of what they kind of came up with after reading this. Um, Jerome and and John Chrysostom claimed that somehow maybe this meeting uh, was uh, prearranged and that it was kind of set up and um, that that maybe Peter wasn't as bad as, you know, he actually comes across here, that maybe he wasn't really sinning. And Calvin kind of rebukes the early church fathers in his commentaries and says, that's ludicrous, you know. Basically, he's saying that there's no way that this um, this could be the case. And so here's Calvin's reply to them, uh, saying that this was a a contrivance or uh, this was something that was uh, maybe not what it seems. I reply that what Peter did is totally different. Uh, When Paul says that he was the chief of all sinners earlier, it says Paul accommodated himself to the Jews uh, no farther than was consistent with the doctrine of liberty, and therefore he refused to circumcise Titus that the truth of the gospel might remain unimpaired. But Peter Judaized in such a manner as to compel the Gentiles to suffer bondage and at the same time to create a prejudice against Paul's doctrine. He did not therefore observe the proper limit for he was more desirous to please than to edify. More solicitous to inquire what would gratify the Jews than what would be expedient for the whole body. Calvin goes on to say that Augustine is therefore right in asserting that uh, this was no previously arranged plan, but that Paul, out of Christian zeal, opposed the sinful and unseasonable dissimulation of Peter because he saw that it would be injurious to the church. Uh, I think as a church leader, I'll preach this to myself, uh, we fall in danger of being theologically sound and um, socially unaware. Um, I'm doing this because this is the right thing to do. We fool ourselves into living lives of hypocrisy uh, that don't line up with the gospel. I'm guilty. We cannot operate out of what we think is right. We must constantly be held to a higher standard. The Bible even says so. We must live according to what the gospel says is right. As pastors, as ministry leaders, as as Matt and Tiffany are going to find out uh, soon enough, this life of ministry is 
um, something that we've got to learn to be how mindful of how hypocritical we really are. We've got to learn to be quick repenters as church leaders. We've got to be the chief example setters of saying, yeah, that's how I was living, and it's wrong. And I think that was Paul's gift to Peter in that moment of calling him out in front of everyone and saying, why, why do you want to live in, in hiddenness? Why do you want to live in shame? Why do you want to live with this burden when you have the freedom to live in Christ? We have to live uh, like Peter did, actually, where we, don't re- where we don't mind people like Paul in our life calling us back to the freedom and the power that we have in the gospel. Where we don't mind people calling us back to biblical truth and saying, look at what you've, you have at your disposal. Why would you live otherwise? We have so much freedom in the gospel, but that freedom and that power we sometimes tend to pervert. When we become self-centered in our ministry, when we become self-centered in the way that we live and not Christ-centered, we stand as hypocrites. Paul reminds Peter that Jesus was what he needed most. Paul reminds him Himself and every church he addresses that Christ is our all and all. But as leaders, oftentimes we're in danger because we want to people please. We want to accomplish tasks. We want to move the ministry forward. Sometimes for the wrong reasons. That hypocrisy is injurious to the church. That hypocrisy will kill the church. It's actually not the gospel at all. It's actually a false reality that we find comfort in. It's actually us resting in our sin, uh, thinking, I can do it. And the cross gets ever smaller and smaller as we pretend we don't need Jesus. We must remember the truth of the gospel, that the the truth has set us free from sin to live for Christ and not ourselves. Uh, There's an article that Tim Keller uh, had out, and uh, there's in an address that he gave to the Beeson Divinity School. He said, there's three things that we must be careful of as ministers, that theological knowledge can puff you up. Yeah, that oftentimes we have a conceit that comes with our uh, theological knowledge. We think that um, we know everything, and so therefore people should just listen to us. He refers to Paul's uh, writing in Second Corinthians and first, first and Second Corinthians. He says that Paul is. Uh, dealing with people in Corinth that had the right theological knowledge about meat offered to idols, but what did it lead to? It led to being puffed up. 
He's saying something simple here. Knowing the truth has a tendency to inflate you. So when I say that what we really need to do is understand or know the truth of the gospel, that's part of what we need. Knowing the truth of the gospel isn't just head knowledge. Knowing the truth of the gospel is letting the gospel get into your heart and your life and living it out. The other thing that we have to be careful of, knowledge puffing us up, is Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way, whenever you allow your relationship to the truth to become purely theoretical and academic, you're falling into the grip of Satan. The moment in your study you cease to come under the power of the truth, you've become a victim of the devil. If you study the Bible without being searched and examined and humbled, without being lifted up and and made to praise God or being moved to sorrow over what God has endured in you or amazed of the beauty and the wisdom of what Christ has done for you, if you do not feel as much of a desire to sing when you're alone in your study as when you're standing in the pulpit, you're in bad shape. You should always feel something in this power. Ministry can also become a false identity. You can either be looking for success in ministry, for people to praise you for the things that you're doing, and so you become known as, hey, he's such a great pastor, he does this. And that becomes your identity, not Christ. Or criticism. Maybe you're in a place in ministry where you're receiving comments of, your preaching's really terrible, it's not that good, or, you know, uh, the way that you work with the youth, no wonder there's no youth coming to youth group anymore. Uh, All of these things can be devastating if your identity is based on what other people say. And cowardice. If your ministry becomes your false identity, you will definitely succumb to being uh, cowardice in a couple different ways. You will just um, do what anybody wants you to do so that you don't rock the boat or that you don't offend anyone. You won't stand up for the truth of the gospel. No matter what people are doing in your midst, you'll just say, oh, that's okay. Live however you want. That's not what we're called to do as leaders in the church. And then the last one, the one that I probably struggle with the most and preach the most all at the same time is succumbing to comparisons. I just readily admit that I am guilty of comparing to others and letting my identity lie in comparisons. And comparisons kill. That's all they do. You get envious when you see others succeeding who you don't think work as hard as you do, who aren't as theologically sound as you are. And all it does is build bitterness and anger. The last thing that I think is a real temptation in ministry is ministry can make you more outward-focused. It's really easy to just 
minister there and never let the gospel come here. When you speak to people about God, you have two options. You can tell them what God's doing in their life, what they should be doing uh, for God. Or you can actually commune with God. You can act like you commune with God, or you can actually commune with God. And there's a big difference. It's not just ministers that have to worry about that. It's, it's everyone. Do you come to church on Sunday just to act like you're communing with God? Or are you actually letting the truth of the gospel confront the sin that you're wrestling with? Are you allowing people like Paul that are God's place in your life to gently remind you and say, why do you settle for this when you have been offered this? Jesus' last night with his disciples, he said that one of them would betray him. It's interesting to consider how the disciples responded. They all looked around the room and said, who will this person be? In fact, Jesus tells them that it was the one that he has given bread to and they still don't get it. You know why? Because Judas didn't look any different than they did. Outwardly, he was effective. But inwardly, there was nothing there. He took care of his outward life more than his inward life. Jonathan Edwards, in his great book, Charity and Its Fruits, talks about the fact that God used Judas even though he wasn't saved. We don't want that to be our legacy in ministry. But that's where hypocrisy starts. Ministry is either going to make you a far better Christian or a far worse Christian than you would have otherwise said, otherwise been. That's what Keller says. He says, it's going to make you a hard, pharisaical hypocrite, or it's going to turn you into a softer, more tender person because it forces you to go to the throne of grace and to beg the Lord for help in your weakness. That's what Paul knew. That's what Paul was telling Peter. Don't be a Pharisee. Don't let your heart be hardened by the way that you're living. Don't don't continue to live this way and, and be fake. Just admit, hey, I screwed up. Come back to the truth of the gospel. We're going to spend the next several weeks and Richard's going to be preaching on this reality of being justified by faith and it, and paul is just going to hammer it home uh, for the rest of the book he's just going to be like it's not the it's not what you're doing it's by faith that you have been saved so how do we overcome being conceited how do we overcome uh being prideful How do we overcome being hypocrites? Minute to minute, hour to hour, day by day, turning to Christ. Minute to minute, day by day, hour by hour, breath by breath, 
living like Paul did with a love for the truth of the gospel that reminds us of who loves us. Richard prayed this in his, in his prayer also. What, what is the truth of the gospel? The truth of the gospel is, is grace. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. God created us to be uh, with us, to commune with us, to have fellowship with us. God created us in, in this state. He created Adam and Eve in a, in a place where their labor was without toil. where they could enjoy His good creation. Our disobedience caused us to fall from that grace. But God's grace continued. God's grace for us never stopped. God's grace for us uh, continued to unfold throughout history, even to this moment. We may have fell from God's holy presence, but His plan to restore us was never out of the question. God's God's holiness and His justness could not stand the presence of sin, so God had to lovingly send us His Son that He might be sin for us. That He might be holy for us. That the truth of the gospel would ring out through the life and the death and the resurrection and the reigning of Jesus. That God loves us. That God has loved us even while we were yet sinners. Even while we stood condemned, God says, I have given you Jesus. That He would make propitiation for our sins. That He would... Uh, make things right, that He would move towards us, that He would be for us. You see, God's attitude for us is this, that He moves towards broken sinners. He sends His Holy Spirit into our dead hearts and and He fights uh, the evil that is there and defeats it with the truth of the Gospel. He removed sin from us and He placed it on Jesus. And Jesus has paid for our sins. The truth of the Gospel is what Paul is fighting for. You see, Paul is trying to announce to the world, uh, there's good news that you need to hear. There's good news for sinners like Peter and Paul, and you, and me. When we understand that the law is just the mirror, when we understand that uh, we can't, when we understand that the things that we do can't add up, when we understand that the law is the mirror that we need to see our need for Jesus, when we understand that only Jesus is capable of giving what we need. I believe it's at that point that the Holy Spirit has opened our dead hearts and He's given us eyes to see and ears to hear. Uh, You're not going to make it on your own. 
You're, you're incapable of fixing your problems. You're incapable of surviving in this mode. The Holy Spirit enables our dead hearts to come alive and to believe, to have faith in something that's far greater and far more worthy than ourselves or our dead works. Something far greater than the righteousness of following a law, the Holy Spirit is leading us to have faith in God and follow the God-man that He sent on our behalf. Peter had forgotten that for a moment. In verse 12 it says, For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Peter was trying to live both ways. Peter was trying to live uh, by hiding who he really was. That never works, does it? Verse 13, And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is contagious. If your leaders aren't modeling humble, repentant spirits, find new leaders. If I'm not being humble, if I'm not being repentant, if I can't be held accountable to the truth of the gospel, please get rid of me. Paul loved the truth of the gospel so much he was willing to address Peter's hypocrisy. Please love me enough to address my hypocrisy. Please know if I come to you and, and, and want to be involved in your life and I take interest in, in the things that you're doing and I gently try to lead you back to the gospel, that it's for the sake of the gospel. The good news that God has given us His Son. Jesus again and again and again was trying to teach this to His disciples. We need to be reminded daily of the good news of the gospel. Why? Because in five minutes from now we'll forget it. Somebody cuts us off in traffic and what are we going to do? How are we going to react? Right? The line at the drive-thru is 30 minutes long and we lose all of our civility. Jesus in Matthew 16 says, Now when Jesus came into the district of uh, Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, and he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for the flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And the disciples, and then Jesus told the disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. What have you set your mind on this week? What's your schedule look like? What are the desires of your heart? Are you living one way, but saying something different? But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Last week I said I don't have time to read all of Acts. This week I don't have time to read all of Romans. But I think Paul answers his own question in the book of Romans. Romans 3, no one's righteous. What then, are Jews any better off? No, not at all, for they've already already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Romans 8, which Richard 
talked about earlier, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Brothers and sisters, you've been given the Spirit of life. Don't live for fleshly things. Set your mind on things above. Understand that you've been made co-heirs with Christ. Understand that there is a day that is now. There's a day that's coming that that we can live in now. That we can live for the glory of God by the things that we say and the things that we do today. For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed for us. For the creation waits with eager, eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The Spirit will help us in our weakness. It will search our heart. It knows our mind. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Even being rebuked by a fellow brother. Even being held accountable for our sins, which often is the worst thing we think can be happening to us. God uses for good. Do you just know the truth of the gospel? Or do you just know the truth of the gospel? I pray that you know the truth of the gospel. I pray that it becomes every part of who you are and every part of what you think and and say and do. I hope that the gospel permeates uh, all areas of your life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the grace that is ours through the blood and the body of Jesus. Thank you for the life-giving spirit that you've placed in us that we 
can actually be transformed. That we can actually set our mind on things uh, that are holy and good and pleasing to you. Oh Lord, would you uh, help to upside down our desires? God, help us not to seek after fleshly things. Lord, help us to seek after uh, things that are above. Lord, help us to um, understand the gospel. Help us to treasure the gospel. Help us to, to know the truth of the gospel, not just in knowledge's sake, but as we live it out. Help us to be reminded that we are sinners that have been saved by grace. And we can revel in that freedom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.